Good morning. You know, if you were going to use a word to describe the last 35 seconds, what would it be? Somebody raise your hand, just let me know. Quiet. What else? Yeah. Peaceful. What else? Yeah. Late. <laughs> it's amazing how we're different. For me, the word I would use is awkward. Right? I think for me it's awkward because um, I'm so used to noise. In fact, uh, when I was a kid, uh, some of you remember, now, if you're younger than me, I don't know how much younger, but if you're probably in your mid-30s, you will not remember this, but if you're over 35, you probably will. I remember uh, when I was a kid, on the weekends, uh, especially Friday night, my mom would let us stay up. Now, back in that day, there was, I'm talking before satellite television. How many remember before satellite television, the old antenna? You turned it, and your, your dad would have you hold, lick your finger and hold the knob and point, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, was, that, was there really a world back then? There was, I promise. Predate cell phones as well, which is a blasphemy for many of you. But uh, I remember uh, we had three channels, and uh, I remember on those late nights I'd get stepped, and it was, I'd get stepped to midnight. Now, some of you are like, that's not late. Well, for me, it was late. And, and do you remember what happened on TV channels at midnight? They all did one thing. What was it? They all signed off. And I'll never forget how they signed off. They would sign off, first of all, by waving a flag and playing the national anthem. And then there would be that awkward multicolored screen for about a minute. And then it would go to white noise. Static. Do you remember that? I mean, see, now if that happens, our cable's out, right? We're really mad. But back in the day, there was a time from midnight to like 5 a.m. There was, it would just, if you turn the TV on, all you got was static. All you got was white noise. And as I thought about this series, and as we begin this, I thought, that's probably a perfect reflection for some of our lives. If we just really kind of looked inward, our lives are filled full of noise. Maybe we've got the noise of to-do list, or the noise of conflict, or the noise of relational demands, whether it's a spouse or kids, or the noise of loss and suffering and struggle, or the noise of our our career obligations, or the noise of financial responsibilities. We have a lot of noise that goes on, don't we? And I don't know about you, but I'm going to talk from my heart for the next three weeks, so if you can relate to that, Kudos to you, but to the, this, this series really is for me. Can, I'm just going to be selfish and say, this is, this is not what I've worked through. I am working through this stuff. Because for me, when the noise is in my life like we all have, here's what I find out. It leaves me feeling on edge. It leaves me frustrated. It leaves me stressed out. It leaves me unfocused. It leaves me overwhelmed. And most of all, it leaves me searching for some kind of relief. Right? Can you relate to that? I'm just going to tell you, there's a season in all of our lives we go through this. And mine just happens to be about four weeks ago where I'm really just at that point where I'm like, I just feel overwhelmed, I feel stressed out, I feel frustrated, I feel all these things. And at the end of the day, there's this moment of, I just want some kind of relief for all this noise that's going on in my life. Can you relate to that? I don't want to be the only guy in the room, but I'm telling you, I'm probably not the only guy in the room going through that. And yet we're confronted with what Dave read a while ago. Psalms 46.10, be still and know that I am God. 
Doug, I know you've got this noise going on in your life. I know all this stuff is screaming at you and pulling you and trying to pull you different directions. I know you've got all these different voices and noises that are in your ear. You've got to pay your bills. You've got to do your job. You've got to love your wife. You've got to love your kids. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to go here. You've got, you got all this noise going on. But, Doug, I, I want to tell you something. Be still and know that I'm God. I don't have time to be still. Listen, I mean, do you? I don't have time to be still. In fact, the way I'm not wired this way necessarily, but my propensity is this. My mind never shuts off. Now, I'm just going to tell you, that doesn't mean I'm an intellect because I'm very much not an intellect. I'm just telling you, I'm always thinking. I'm always thinking. When I see something, I continue to think about it. Or I think about something else, I'm always, I never shut down. And so when an opportunity arises and something does happen and I've been thinking about it, then I go into fix-it mode. Right? I've been thinking about this. It happens. So now I want to fix this stuff, and I want to do it now because to, to now is precious. We only have the time we have right now, and so i got to get this done right now because later is not good enough, and let's get this thing done right now. But yet I'm still confronted with Psalm 46.10. This says, Doug, be still and know that I'm God. And I just want to really be honest with you this morning. I, I'm not good at this. Now, stillness, now you say, well, Doug, you mean stillness meaning you know, taking the, taking the day off and sitting in your easy chair and relaxing, watching TV. No, I'm great at that. I mean, I got that nailed. Boys do the laundry, do the dishes, take the trash out. And I'm still in the chair. I love, I mean, I'm good at that kind of stillness. But that's not what we're talking about. And I don't know about you, but I just know that for me, I wrestle with this. And there's a challenge for all of us today. Maybe you find yourself today and there's just a lot of noise going on in your life. Maybe it's some noise that some of you I've talked to today is going through some, some loss and some hurt. Maybe just some confusion over stuff. Maybe it's just the demands of life. And you, like me, if you were honest, you, you don't have to be spiritual, but just be honest, you would say, I don't know that I have time to be still. There's too much stuff that's racing through my brain. There's too much stuff on my calendar. I don't even have time to breathe. In fact, my spouse and I, we see each other coming and going, right? Some of us... That's where we're at today. So I want to challenge you with this. We're going to take Psalms 46.10, and we're going to talk about what does it mean to be still. And then I want to take you to 1 Kings 19 and talk about why it's crucial for us to be still. So if you have your Bibles, Psalms 46.10, you've heard it read, and it'll be on the screen. Basically, it's this, that Psalms 46.10 says, be still and know that I'm God. What does it mean for you and I to be still? Now, I want you to hear me because this is crucial for all of us. Stillness is not the absence of noise. Please hear me. Stillness is not the absence of noise. For example, are you ever going to be able to silence the relational demands you have between you and your spouse or you and your kids? No. Is your creditors ever going to let you silence your financial responsibilities you have with them? No. Are you ever going to be free from conflict in life for the most part? No. Are you ever going to get away from suffering loss and struggles and, and all those kinds of things? Are you going to get away from that? No. So stillness is not the absence of noise, but it's the presence of four things. And I want you to write these down. In fact, in, in Psalms 46.10, the word to be still, I looked that word up still, and really there was four words that were associated that describe what it means for us to be still. Here's the first word, calmness. That for you and I to be still, there must be a calmness of our spirit, a calmness in our heart in spite of the storms that we might go through. Now, can we just talk for a minute? When I go through storms, calmness is probably not the word to describe me. Frantic, 
paranoid, intense, not calmness. And so consequently, when I face storms in life, I find myself not still, but trying to figure this mess out on my own. Not still, but struggling and worrying and frustrated over what's happening in my life. But if we're going to be still, one of those words associated with stillness in the Hebrew is the word to be calm in our spirit. That no matter what storm I'm going through, there's a calmness in my soul. Another word, or another word is two words, it's the idea of gentleness or a quiet spirit. That if we're going to be still, we must have a quiet spirit about us, especially when life falls apart. How many of you know that life is going to fall apart? Okay, if you don't have your hand up, it's coming. It's coming. Life is going to fall apart. At least by our it's going to fall apart. And I don't know about you, but when my life falls apart, everything in me tends not to be quiet. There's not a quiet spirit. In fact, one of the verses that I love for my kids to listen to and to read and memorize, but I struggle with is James 1.19. Be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. I'm quick to speak, quick to anger, and slow to listen. That's typically how I am. And I'm just telling you, stillness, if there's not a quiet spirit about us, a quiet spirit when all life falls apart, and we have a tendency to be loud and demonstrative and just being overbearing, are we ever going to feel like we're being still before God and that God is speaking to us and using us? No, because we're all doing it on our own initiative. And if we're going to be still, it takes a calmness, it takes a quiet spirit. It also, the word to describe stillness is peace. Peace. Even in the face of conflict. Now everybody look at me here. Do you struggle with that? I don't know about you, but when there's conflict, and you and I, if Brett and I are having conflict, and there's tension, I take it personally. Anybody else like that? We say, Doug, well, it's not personal. It is to me. Even though it's not. Right? Now, what am I robbing myself when I take it personally? Now, unless Britt just kind of says, Doug, you're this, 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 and kind of cussing me out, that'd be a whole different story, which he wouldn't do that. But I mean, if he just, if he were to come up after we're done today, go, Brett, Doug, I loved your message, but you know, it's one point, I didn't quite get that. Look, all I heard him say was the one thing he didn't get. And for me, I will spend days, now, if you want to do this, it's okay, I'm kind of, I, I would say I'm over it, but maybe not, who knows, we'll find out. But it would, it would used to, I would take days, and I would obsess over that one thought, and I took it personal. And what does that rob me of? It robs me of peace. There's not stillness in my heart when I've taken it all personal. But if we're going to be still, there has to be this inner peace of our soul and a peace in our spirit in the face of conflict. And then another word that was associated was the word tranquility. That we might experience and have a stillness to be a a tranquil heart even that is free from agitation. When all life falls apart, are you quick to get agitated or are you slow to get agitated? Does it tick you off right now, or does it kind of take time to build? I'm a right now guy. I'm a right now. Now, here's the point. When I look at how I do life, there's no wonder why many times in my life I don't experience stillness. I can tell you all day long that we're to be still and know that he's God. But I'm just telling you, this is what stillness is. Stillness is a calmness of the heart, a quiet spirit, a heart filled full of peace, and a heart that is tranquil in the face of storms, when life falls apart, in the face of conflict, and free from agitation. That's what it means for you and I to be still. But when I look at my life, my life doesn't typically reflect that. So here's the point. Stillness is a disposition of the heart. You have to choose in your heart 
for calmness. You have to choose for there to be a quiet spirit about you. You have to choose peace, not personalization. You have to choose tranquility, not agitation. It is a disposition of the heart to be still. Listen, it is a willful decision on our part to be still or not. Now, I'm just going to be honest. I know I need to be still. But when everything hits the fan, I go into Doug mode. And I do what Doug wants to do. I do it the way Doug's always done it. And that's not stillness. Now, here's the interesting thing. God says in 46.10, if we can put that back up, it says this. Be still and know that I am God. In other words, the result of our stillness is that our stillness leads us to know God. Now, let me ask you this. If that is true, that being still, calm, quiet spirit, peaceful, tranquil in my heart when everything's falling apart, if I have that stillness in me, and it's true that because I'm being still before God, that I'm going to be able to know God, isn't the opposite true too? That if I have all this noise screaming at me, and there's no stillness in me, but I'm letting the, the noise overwhelm me, that I'm going to not really wrestle with what it means to know and to love and to pursue God? Sure. So what does it mean to know God? Psalms 46.1, Dave read it, it says this, 46.1, we throw that up there, Carolyn. Here we go, I'll just read it out of the Bible. It says this, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. That's what it means to know God. That in the moment of our stillness, I mean, it's interesting, the psalmist wrote it this way. He starts off with God is our strength, he's our refuge, that when we're in time of need, that God is our help. And then he concludes with this demand, be still and know that he's God. Be still and know that he is your strength. Be still and know that he's your refuge. Be still and know that when you're going through hell on earth, that he's with you there to help you because he loves you. See, stillness leads me to know God. And the only way that I'm going to remember that God is my strength, that God is my refuge, and that God is my help is when I choose to be still. To be still. So here's the thing. Stillness points me to who God is. But when I let all the noise overwhelm that, it robs me of really knowing God. It robs me. And that's where some of you are today. You're here because you want to know God, you want to love God, but you, like me, have this problem. You take no time to be still before God. Because in our stillness, in fact, one of my favorite stories, Isaiah chapter 6, you can read it later. Isaiah is sitting there, and he sees into heaven, he sees these angels, and he sees all this amazing stuff, and he sees the glory of God, and he's just wrestling with who God is, and a lot of that who he is, and his only response is, Lord, here am I, send me. I mean, there's this moment where he really wrestles with who God is, and most of us never have that moment because we're never still long enough. Like a while ago, you're in that moment of stillness, you're reading the screen, but still yet you can hear me sipping my water up here. You can hear the chair squeaking. You shuffled your feet probably 10 times because you were fidgety. We just don't know what stillness looks like, do we? And maybe that's why we're not experiencing God the way we want to. So now that we know what stillness is, and now we know um, kind of what the result of that is. The, la the second question I want to look at and where I want to camp ground this morning is this. Why is it important or why is it crucial for you and I to be still? And I want to give you three reasons and I want to take you to the text. The first reason is this, that stillness leads us to soul searching. 
Stillness leads us to soul searching. Ver- chapter uh, 19, verse 9 says this in 1 Kings. There he came to the cave, talking about Elijah. He came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, it's interesting. I mean, there's this moment where Elijah finds himself in this cave and God comes to him and he speaks to him and says, Elijah, what in the world are you doing here? I mean, the question itself is a question of soul searching. What in the world are you doing here, Elijah? What has happened to bring you to this place? Elijah, I'm not asking about everybody else. Why are you here, Elijah? Which would demand Elijah to pause and think to himself, why am I here? Now, let me give you just a little bit of background to the story to kind of add context to this. Elijah was a great prophet for God. In fact, in chapter 18, you can read it later. In chapter 18 of 1 Kings, he had this experience at this place called Mount Carmel. And on this mountaintop, he went up there with 450 prophets of Baal and Elijah by himself, a prophet of God. So these 450 prophets of Baal wanted to have kind of a war over whose God is the real God. And Elijah says, sure, let's do it. You do whatever you want to do. You take a bull over there, you sacrifice it, you do whatever you want to do, and you try to call down your God, and if your God consumes the the, the offering, then we'll just know that your God is the right God and my God is not. But if your God doesn't come down, eventually I get my turn. They said, cool. So all these 450 prophets of Baal put all this stuff, and they do all this crazy stuff, hoping their God, Baal, would show up. They even began to cut themselves to show sacrifice and self-mutilizing themselves to say, hey, we want our God to show up. And eventually we know what happens. Nothing happened. And then Elijah, and I love this scripture, says basically Elijah mocked them. He said, oh, here we go. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to build a wood altar. And I'm going to put some stones around this altar. And I'm going to dig a trench around this. And we're going to put the bull on top of this stuff. Okay, well, that makes sense. And I'm going to call fire down from heaven. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's get, let's make this a little more difficult. It's like a magic trick, just gone really good here. He's like, let's take four jugs of water and let's pour that on the bull. Because if you pour it on the bull, guess what else is going to get wet? The wood. And if something's wet, is it easy to burn or hard to burn? Hard to burn. So let's just get it wet. So they pour all this stuff on there, all the water on there, and all the water drains down. He says, you know, that's not good enough. Let's do it a second time. So here they are, four buckets. They pour it all over. So now the, the bull is wet, the wood is wet, the water is beginning to go into the trenches. And then Elijah says, you know, that's not good enough. Let's do it a third time. So they take the water and they do the same thing. And so if you're the prophet of Baal, you're thinking, this guy's nuts. I mean, he's going to say fire's going to come down and consume this bull, but he's just watered it all down. I mean, the trenches are filled full of water. This is never going to happen. Now listen to this, you've you got to read your Bibles. There's too many cool things that happen. You do. 1 Kings 18, here's what happens. Elijah prays. And it says, God sends fire down from heaven. And listen to this, it says he consumed the bull. Yeah, that's no big deal. He consumed the fire, I mean the, the wood, that's kind of big. And he consumed the stones around, and then he even licked up all the water. I mean, all gone. In a moment. Now, the point is this. Elijah experienced one of the greatest miracles of the Bible. He's right there. God shows up, and bam, it's all gone. And Elijah was like, dude, your God is the right God. Right? In fact, the Bible says in chapter 18 that the hand of God was on Elijah. And then this woman, this nasty woman named Jezebel, caught word of what Elijah was doing. And she set out to kill Elijah. Now, I'm not really smart, but here's what I'm thinking. If I just called fire down from heaven... And it soaked up and it consumed not only the bull, not only the wood, not only the stones, but he licked up the water. I think I can handle a woman. Right? 
I mean, I, I don't mean that ugly. I'm not being sick. I'm, I, I can handle what's coming my way. But the Bible says this, and I don't want you to miss this. It says Elijah was filled with fear, and he was afraid of Jezebel. And so you know what he did? He ran, and he hid in the cave. That's where the story picks up. So we've got an Elijah who's experienced great victory, but now he's scared to death, and he's hiding in the cave. And I want you to know that this stillness leads to soul searching because in that moment, in this cave, God comes to him and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, if you read tone into this, if you read the Hebrew, you kind of understand the tone. Really what God is asking is, Elijah, how did we get here? Elijah, we just went, we went from, you went from Mount Carmel. How did you get here, Elijah? How did you get so distraught, so afraid, so struggling that you find yourself hiding out from a woman in a cave, Elijah? Now, here's something that, that's, that I've been thinking about for a long time. Why in the world would God ask Elijah this question? Because God wanted Elijah to take a breath and to begin to ask himself, what's going on in me? Right? What's wrong with me? God asked Elijah this question because he wanted Elijah to back away from the situation and the circumstances and go, okay, forget what's going on out there. What's going on in here? Now, here's the interesting thing. If Elijah really had been still, if Elijah really had kind of backed away and to find a stillness in his heart, here's what Elijah would have discovered. He would have discovered, you know what, even when I faced these prophets of Baal, God was with me. God used me. God has provided for me. This is crazy. But I want you to notice Elijah's response. Verse 10 says this. In verse 10, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord. The God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars, and they've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Now, do you see a stillness in Elijah in that moment? Or do you see a guy loaded with chaos? I mean, God comes to Elijah and goes, hey, man, how did we get here, dude? I mean, think about it. You just experienced one of the greatest miracles ever, Elijah. How in the world did we get to this place? And here's Elijah's response. Well, God, it's not my fault. It's these daggone people you put on me. I mean, it's these people that are out there. I mean, they're throwing down your altars. They're doing this. They're doing that. They've abandoned against you. And God, they're seeking to kill me, God. It's not me, God. It's them, God. Right? And all he saw was the hopelessness of the situation, and he totally ignored the power of God. Now, here's why this is crucial. Please hear this, and I want you to write it down. Maybe in your bulletin. Stillness leads me to look at what's going on with me. Now, I want to tell you, when conflict happens, when struggle happens, it's easy for me to tell God what's wrong with you. It is. I'm good at saying, hey, that's what's wrong with Scott. That's what's wrong with Travis. That's what's wrong with Chad. Right? Aren't you that way too? I mean, are we really good at pointing the flaws out in everybody else's life and everybody else's parenting and everybody else's marriage and everybody else's career and everybody else's faith, their decisions? Well, they, are we really good at pointing out everybody else's weakness? But stillness requires me and leads me to ask, what's going on with me? And it leads me to do some soul searching. And without stillness, I'll never do that soul searching. 
Now, let me give you another thing that's so important. Another reason is because stillness leads me, leads us to listen for God. Now, look with me in verse 11 and 12. It says this. And he said, God said this, Go out and stand at the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and a strong wind tore the mountains and broke it into pieces and the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. Now, we know what that kind of fire looked like, right? It's amazing fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after that fire, the sound of what? Now, think about this. Stillness leads me to listen for God. Now, what did God tell Elijah to do? He said, I want you to go stand at the edge here, and I want you to wait because, Elijah, I'm going to pass by. I'm going to be here. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to pass by, and I want you to go out there to the edge. Now, what we find in the story is Elijah doesn't do that, right? I mean, Elijah's so scared to death, he stays in the cave. He didn't even do what God's telling him to do. But it didn't stop God. So God shows up. What's the first thing he does? He, he shows up in a wind. And it's not just a wind like, Do you remember what he said there? That the mountain began to break into pieces. Now, what kind of wind is that? A big wind. Yeah, it's a big wind, right? I mean, when the wind shows up, and you're talking beyond tornado kind of weather here, that the mountains are breaking to pieces. But God wasn't in that. And then you've got, you got, you got the, earth, the, the earthquake that shows up. But God wasn't in that. Then you got the fire. Now, why in the world, listen, why in the world would God tell Elijah to go to the edge and wait for him? Why? Now, I didn't come to this on my own. I have somebody right now that's kind of pouring into me, and they said something that really kind of impacted me that brings understanding to the text. I think one of the reasons God told Elijah to go to the edge and wait was because he wanted to say, hey, Elijah, you just need to slow life down a little bit. And you're freaking out. You've got to back away from this. Elijah, I want you to go to edge, and I want you to slow life down, and I want you to listen for me. Elijah, you can't get rid of the noise, but you can go to the edge, and you can intently listen for my voice. And so God sends wind. He's not in the wind. He sends earthquake, not in the earthquake. He sends fire. He's not in the fire. What was God in? He was in the low whisper, right? Now, here's why I find that interesting. On one hand, why did God send a wind? Why did God send an earthquake? Why did God send the fire but not speak in those? Why did he wait till the whisper? I don't know, but here's what I do know. That when God sent a wind and God sent an earthquake and God sent a, a fire, I really believe this to remind Elijah of the power of God. Elijah, remind, be reminded of my power. Man, don't forget how powerful I really am, Elijah. But also, I love it because on the other hand, God didn't, listen, God didn't speak in the spectacular. He spoke in a whisper. Now, I don't like that. I don't. I want God to speak in the signs to me. I want the heavens to open up, a scroll to drop from heaven, and the letter to be addressed to me. Doug, this is exactly what you're supposed to do. Anybody else with me on that one? I mean, I don't want God to whisper to me. I want God to shout at me. I want to know that it's his voice. I want him to open the heavens, and I want him to go, hey, Doug, you're being an idiot. Do this. I, I want that. Why? Because I know my inadequacies. But can we just be honest? God typically doesn't speak in the spectacular. He speaks to the gentle whispers. 
In fact, in my life, as I look over my life, here's what I know. More times than not, God has spoke to me, not audibly, but he's nudged me in the quiet moments of my life. Like four weeks ago, as I'm struggling, God began to nudge me to Psalms 46.10. It says, just be still and know that I'm God. See, here's the reason this is so important, because stillness helps me listen for the whisper of God. Now, interesting note, you may know this and you may not know this about me. If you ever want to talk to me, you need to talk to this ear, because I can't hear squat out of this ear. So if I acknowledge and agree with you, and you say something to this ear, and I've given you permission to do something, I didn't mean to do that. I'm just being polite to you in that moment. But if you really want to have a conversation, it's this ear, because I can't hear anything out of this ear. I mean, not one dadgum thing out of this ear, all right? So if you're talking to me, what you'll find me do is you'll find me turning my head and trying to listen. Why? Because I'm trying to intently listen to your voice. What if we did that spiritually? We can't block out the noise. But what if there was an intensity and an intention on our part to really listen to the voice of God? See, stillness helps me listen for the whisper of God in my life. Let me give you one more reason, then we'll close this up. Stillness reminds us of God's love for us. Look with me in verse uh, 13 uh, through 15. It says, and Elijah heard it. Now, what did Elijah hear? He heard the voice of God, the very thing he was waiting on. He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and then stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, for the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars, and they've killed your prophets and their sword, and even I am the only one left, and even now they seek me to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Now, I want you to pause there for just a minute, because this is very interesting what happens here. Because stillness reminds us of the love that God has for us. See, God shows up and he whispers to Elijah. But what did God whisper to Elijah? What did he whisper? The same question he started with, wasn't it? Same question. Are you with me this morning? Same question, right? What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, if you're Elijah and you've been listening to God, God has spoken to you, and God showed up in a powerful way, and he's done all this miraculous stuff, and now he asks you the same question, it might behoove you to give a different answer. Right? Maybe the first one wasn't right. And I needed something else. But what does Elijah do? He gives the same dadgum answer. Right? He says the same stuff. Now here's what I love about this part of the passage. Please hear me. I'm reminded when I read this that sometimes I just don't get it. Sometimes my struggle is so big it takes me a while to kind of get it. But the beauty of this part of the passage is this, is that God desired to speak to Elijah, didn't he? And God desires to speak to us. And God was patient with Elijah. I mean, did he beat him up going, Elijah, I just asked you this question and you gave me the same stupid answer a while ago. Why are you saying the same stuff? It's all about them, Elijah. At what point is it going to be about you? I mean, that's what God could have done, but God didn't do that. God was patient with Elijah. And in fact, what he did was he gave him a purpose. Instead of dealing with the issue, God just says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you to go back to Damascus. And then he tells Elijah this whole series of things he wants him to do. At the very end, in in verse 18, he reminds Elijah that I have other people, like 7,000 people, who have not followed this bell, God, and they're with you. You're not alone, Elijah. 
But instead of God browbeating Elijah, he just gives him a purpose. Now listen to me. This is our story too. In fact, when I read this, if my first thought was I went to the idea of Peter. Remember Peter in John chapter 21? Peter has denied Jesus three times. And Jesus comes to Peter and he reinstates him. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Then Jesus asks him a second time, Peter, do you love me? He says, you know I love you, Lord. He said, well, feed my sheep. And then Jesus asked him a third time. We know why he asked him three times, but he asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Now, here's what's interesting about that text, and I want to kind of jump off into something. I want you to follow me here because it's true for us as well. The first time Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, it was the word agape. He basically said, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter's response was, yes, Lord, I phileo you. Now, phileo is the, is the Greek word for love that's brotherly love. So Jesus saying, Are you, do you unconditionally love me, Peter? And Peter said, I love you like a brother. Second time, Jesus says, do you agape me, Peter? And Peter says, I love you like a brother. And the third time, Jesus asking this, Peter, do you love me? Which is the word phileo the third time. Peter, do you love me like a brother? He says, yes, Lord, I love you like a brother. Now, what's the beauty of that story is this, is that God was, Jesus was willing to meet Peter right where he was at. Peter wasn't there yet. Peter was still struggling. But Jesus didn't browbeat him. Jesus met him. And please hear me today. That's our story too. He's willing to meet you wherever you're at. Whatever struggle you're going through, he's willing to meet you. But it takes stillness. See, stillness reminds me that God's grace is extended to me even when I struggle. Amen? Do you believe that? Come on, do you believe that, amen? I mean, the beauty of the story is this, is that God could have wrecked Elijah, but instead he offered him grace. And I'm reminded that even though I struggle, God continues to extend me grace, even when I don't get it. Now, I don't know where you're at this morning, but I know where I'm at. I know that when I read the story of Elijah, there's some things that I wrestle with. When I read the story of Elijah, here's me. I read on one hand this guy that experienced great victory. But on the other hand, this guy that was totally vulnerable, feeling inadequate, and struggling. On one hand, you've got this guy that was loaded with faith. But on the other hand, you've got this guy had great fear. On one hand, you had this guy that was deep in trusting God. On the other hand, you had this guy that was doubting, questioning, and struggling. And I'm just going to tell you, I go through that. How about you? There's moments that I look at my life and I see God do some great things, but yet I also on the other day feel vulnerable and inadequate and just like, God, there's no way you're going to use me. And then other days I feel like I have this great faith that leans on God and, and really buys into what God is doing, but in the next moment I feel this great fear that, that just invades my body and I struggle. And then there's days I feel like I really do trust him with all that I have. And then there's days I'm like, I just struggle. I'm wrestling, God. I'm doubting. But here's what I've learned over the last four weeks. The only way for me to deal, and the only way for us to deal with our vulnerability, the only way for us to deal with our fear, and the only way for us to deal with our struggles is to be still and know that he's God. To be still and begin to search our soul with what's going on with us, not everybody else, not our spouse, not our kids, not our friends, 
not our family, but us. Be still. Start soul searching. And then if I want to deal with those things, I have to be still and intently listen for the whisper of God in my life. And I have to be still. And be still and remember that even when I struggle, God's grace is still extended to me. Here's what we're going to do this morning, a little different. I'm going to ask you to be still. We're going to have some moments. I'm going to pray in just a minute. And we're going to put Psalms 46.1, I believe, back up on the screen. And I just want you to be still. I want you to ignore what's going on. Listen, if you have kids in the room, it's okay. Don't be stressed right now. It's okay. Because listen, my stillness is not dependent on the volume of your child or your chair or what you're doing. My stillness is a position of my heart. Right? And I'm just going to ask you to be still. And I'm going to ask you to be still, and as we look at Psalms 46.1, be reminded that he is your strength, that he is your refuge, that he is your help the moment you need him. And would you just do me this, that as you begin to think about who God is, would you begin to do some soul searching, going, God, what's going on with me? Hey, my marriage is struggling, so what's going on with me? Not them, but me. Hey, my parenting, I'm having some issues. Not what's wrong with my kids, but what's wrong with me? I got trouble at the office. Not what's wrong with them, but God, what's wrong with me? You get what I'm saying? I want you to begin soul searching, going, God, what's going on with me? And as, after you begin to soul search, I want you to say, God, would you just speak to me today? Would you just whisper? Whether it's pointing me to a passage, bringing a thought to my mind, would you just whisper to me today, God? And then at the very end, would you just thank God that even when we don't get it, even when we struggle, he extends his grace to us. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to be still and do those things. And then when we're done with that, our praise team is going to come and lead us in a great time of worship. So let's pray. Father God, I love you. I thank you for today. I, I thank you for this passage. This is for me. This, this, is, this is where you want me, where you've got me, and this is right what I'm in the middle of. I'm not through it. I'm in it. I'm deep in it. And God, I just know that I, I so resonate with Elijah. I so resonate with the vulnerability of Elijah. I resonate with the fear of Elijah. I, wrestle with, I, I resonate with the struggles that Elijah had. But God, I hope we understand this morning the only way for us to deal with those things, the only way we can deal with those things is by being still and thinking about who you are. Considering what's going on with us. Listening for your voice. And thanking you for showing us your grace. God, this morning, will you just help us have a heart that is still for just the next few moments? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Just be still.